coming back to your question of what I'm into nowadays, it's uh, wristwatches mostly, mechanical wristwatches. You know, I've been, uh, when I was at Georgia Tech, um, my roommate at the time was had been into watches for a few years. And uh, he introduced me to horology, modern horology. And uh, What's horology? Horology is, is the way human beings have historically kept uh, track of time. Oh, yeah. wow. I didn't even know there was like a word for it. <laughs> yeah. Horology um, has existed. Or has it's it has developed in parallel with uh, uh, human beings. It's been it's been with us forever. I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert, but a quick Google search will tell you that horology has been a, a large part, or, or played a very important role in uh, uh, the development of, of our civilization. Hmm. Yeah, because even like the Mayans like yeah. had their own calendar and stuff. Yeah, yeah. which I find like that's insane that like a culture like so primitive in a way can be so advanced. insanely advanced i mean their 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 calendar from like thousands and thousands of years ago is like pretty accurate and pretty similar to the calendar that we follow today yeah which was made by fucking catholic people in the vatican yeah <laughs> and like what the hell do they know priests what the hell do priests know about fucking time and shit you know Coming back to your question of what I'm into nowadays, it's uh, wristwatches mostly, mechanical wristwatches. Like what, like Seiko and Rolex and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Seiko, Rolex. Um, you just recently bought a Seiko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was an emotional purchase, but <laughs> I'm very very happy with it. Yeah, and I'm glad I did it. Um, it's a nice looking watch for sure. Yeah, I don't have it on right now, unfortunately, but uh, it is. I love it. Yeah. It's. Uh, I love coming home to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs a girlfriend or wife, right? Uh, it's, uh, I think that purchase or that watch in particular was my first um, truly mechanical automatic watch. Yeah. Um, and I was, I spent so many hours researching um, which watch to buy. And I had no idea that uh, the watch that I finally bought even existed until I went to the store and I put it on and I realized as soon as I put it on that, hey, this is the one. Hmm. And uh, as soon as I put it on, I realized that, yeah, there's no way in hell I'm buying anything else. This is the one that I'm going to pay. I'm going to buy and I'll pay whatever I need to pay for it. Why that one? Just the way it feels or Just is it? it felt very instinctive. It's a heavy watch. It's like, it's, yeah. When you showed it to me, I was like, damn, this is a, so nice for anyone watch. who's listening, it's a Seiko Diver. It's it's called the Mini Marine Master, and uh, it's made in Japan. And uh, it's one of the best uh, Seiko Diver watches that that you can buy. So I went to the Seiko store on Madison. Is it? Is I think it's Madison Avenue, hmm. and uh, it's a Grand Seiko boutique. Grand Seiko is the more expensive line from Seiko. Right. Right. Um, but it was such a fun experience, and I put it on, and I had a friend with me who was also into watches, and it was raining outside, and this was on my 27th birthday, <laughs> Jeez. which was the 10th of March, 2020, the last time uh, I went into a retail store before the city shut down, 
Oh, right. Yeah, right. And the coronavirus took over the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. You bought that, like, yeah. when every, everything started to kind of yeah. hit the fan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been four months since I've been to Manhattan. And the last time I went to Manhattan was when I bought the watch. Wow. So the watch is a reminder of um, everything that's happened over the past few months. And I think that's one of the most incredible thing about watches is that over time they develop a personality. Yeah, yeah. They have this ability to attract memories. And uh, every time um, you look at them, you start to remember things that uh, uh, that have happened ever since you you bought the watch. And uh, that's the thing with mechanical watches. They don't rely on batteries or, or a circuit board. They feed off of your energy. Um and your movements so they have a long lifespan right so i can maybe 30 40 years from now i can look back at my watch and remember 2020 and everything that went down so when you say it doesn't have any batteries and it works off your energy like yeah. what is what does that even mean hmm so <laughs> there are um mainly two kinds of watches just simplifying mm-hmm. um the types of watches there is there are watches that work on batteries and watches that work on the basis of um, many small engineered movements or a mainspring. A mainspring is a spring that you can either wind manually with your hand mm. and it collects energy and it dissipates that energy over time to keep your watch running. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to a battery operator watch that uses electricity and a quartz crystal. Right, right, right. To to tell your watch when to move and how to move. So when you like move your arm, yeah, it's like always it has a, building up tension in that yeah, spring. Yeah. When you move your when you move your arm, um, there's a little uh, rotor at the back of your watch that collects energy and winds winds your spring. Right. And that spring over time. Uh, dissipates that energy into your into your watch's uh, arms through through multiple complicated movements. Holy shit! Yeah. Wow. That's why they're called automatic um, watches. So, so yeah. So my love for watches started when um, when my roommate at Georgia Tech uh, told me about uh, how how well engineered these pieces are. Right. And uh, and I always asked him like, hey, why don't you just use a phone if you if you really want to know the time? <laughs> and uh, it's not about the time though, right? Like, yeah, I feel like that's like the last thing yeah. that it's about. I realized, I realized after a while that um, watches are like these mechanical hearts that measure the passage of time. Right, and you can wear them on your wrist. And unlike unlike your phone, where you need to unlock uh, your phone to see the time, watches sort of maintain time in a more continuous manner. Right. Even if you're not looking at it, it continues to to tell you, or it continues to to move, and keep track of the time. And I think that's more reflective of the nature of time itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because the because time is continuous, it doesn't stop for anyone much like these watches right you know that have hundreds of complicated movements just to ensure that they aren't re- reliable on any external factors and they just keep on ticking and and you can put them on your wrist and you can go around and i think that's the appeal what's the predecessor to like a wristwatch just like a pocket watch yeah 
um, pocket watch for men. And I read somewhere that people used to wear um, this to wear timepieces as pendants, women mm. especially. Right. Um, a wristwatch started off as a uh, accessory, like a jewelry. But then Hans Wilsdorf, the guy who invented Rolex, at the age of 24 realized that wristwatches are the future and they're not very reliable and they're not very precise. And he wanted to solve that problem. So in 1905, he, he made uh, what we now know as Rolex, which is a super super precise and a super reliable wristwatch and um is it uh, the most precise i think it i would say and i think a lot of people would agree with me that rolex is um of course there are a lot of very good very well-made watches out there right um especially swiss watches but rolex definitely has a history of being uh, uh being uh one of the first watches that uh that pushed the boundaries of uh, watchmaking. And uh, Rolex was built with the intention to be very, very precise. And their priority has always been to be precise and reliable and then everything else. So, um, yeah. So when did he create like the first like Rolex with the Rolex name on it? I th Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I think in 1905, he started making... Uh, making watches, but he did not add the Rolex name to it. A few years after that, um, he thought of the name Rolex. And uh, the funny thing is Rolex, according to their website, doesn't mean anything. Oh, really? Yeah. Just like an arbitrary name? It's just a name that's easy to put on a dial on the back of the watch, and it's a name that's easy to remember. So he just put, he's just like, oh, yeah, Rolex sounds. Uh, actually, on their official video, they say that a genie came to him and he was on the bus and said Rolex. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to name it Rolex. Jeez, spiritual guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they say in the video, but I don't know how true that is. Um, so in his pursuit for uh, precision in, in 1910, he went ahead and he got the uh, chronometric certificate of precision, which was really hard to get at the time for a wristwatch. Who gives that out? Um, I think it's given out by a independent agency in Switzerland. It's mm -hmm. called CASC, I think. I'm not sure. Um, and the whole purpose of the certificate is to ensure or to certify that uh, this is one of the most reliable timepieces available. Wow. And uh, for a wristwatch to get that, because, you know, timepieces can vary you know, like boats have timepieces, right, clocks right. are other timepieces. So a small wristwatch to get that sort of a certification was kind of a big deal. And Rolex is very proud of that. And uh, they were one of the first watchmakers to 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 get that. Are wristwatches like inaccurate time? I mean, are, are they like... They can be, yeah. Like out of like clocks, like, I mean, they have like those huge grand grandfather clocks and yeah, stuff like yeah. out of all those like our wristwatches like the least accurate well um, so wristwatches especially automatic mechanical wristwatches quartz battery operator watches quartz watches are obviously much more accurate right because right. they run on battery right but um engineered watches like uh mechanical automatic watches um tend to lose a couple of seconds a day some of them 
Wow. Yeah. Um, that really adds up. I mean, after like a year, I mean, you'd be like minutes off, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them lose a couple of seconds. Some of them don't. But there's definitely a loss of time over time. Right, right, right. Um, that's just the nature of how these things work. Right. Yeah, Which, right, because it's mechanical. I mean, those things probably like... Yeah, yeah, but... like very slightly every day, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's... Um, with everything mechanical, there's always a margin of error. Yeah. yeah I feel. Yeah. Um, but this is a skill that's, you know, mas- been mastered over couple of hundred years and like those gears that you see in watches and stuff are they like hand is it handcrafted or i mean do do all those things like come out of factories because like when you produce something in a factory i mean you're always gonna have defects you're always gonna have whatever yeah yeah like is that how does rolex are they just like mass produce like like certain pieces and then they just like assemble them or is you know, it I'm not sure I'm not sure about the manufacturing techniques that watchmakers, especially Rolex uses, but yeah. I'm aware that a lot of their um their pieces are assembled by hand. They're mm. all put together by hand. Right. Um and I know that Rolex manufactures all of its parts on its own. Really? Yeah. Unlike other watchmakers that outsource or buy parts right, from right. different other smaller agencies. Right. Uh which is why Rolex continues to maintain its um it's uh reputation as a extremely reliable watchmaker. What like price range is Rolex compared to Seiko? Are they more expensive than Seiko's? Seiko's a very different sort of a watchmaker. I'll tell you more about Seiko, but Seiko comes from a very different um uh business ideology. Mm. So in order to understand the difference between companies like Omega, Rolex, Longines and something like Seiko, mm-hmm. we need to first understand what happened in uh the 70s and 80s, what is called the Quartz Crisis or the Quartz Revolution, however you think about it. What happened? So... Wait, what is what is Quartz's job in a watch? It's a crystal. It's a crystal that I think acts like a semiconductor ah. that allows... I could be wrong, but it's a crystal that acts like a semiconductor that allows electricity to pass through it. Right. Um, you can edit that out if I'm wrong. We'll look it up. <laughs> so, or we could leave it in, and people could just fact check you. Yeah, yeah. Whoever listens to it, it could uh, hurt my reputation as a watch enthusiast. That's short. I don't know. I, I feel like out of everybody we know, you definitely know the most about watches. So I don't yeah, know which if is why we're talking about dispute it. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, my a lot of my knowledge is very aesthetic. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think that it's only been a few years since I got into it. I think over time, as I start collecting my own watches. I uh, I hope that I can learn more. Which is, I feel like it's funny that watches become collector's items because I feel like the idea of a watch is that you get a really really well like made watch, and then it's kind of like the end game. Like you don't need to get another watch if you have a really good one. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Not at all. With like, especially because watches are pretty expensive. I feel like. Yeah. Every millionaire has some sort of watch collection. Yeah. Or any wealthy person has. A watch, a watch collection of like some yeah. capacity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is kind of funny. I feel like that's not the point of watches. The point of watches is that you get one and then it that's works a very good point. And, forever. And I think the answer to that, again, lies in the quartz crisis. <laughs> so what happened was in, in 1969, um, Seiko made the first commercially available quartz watch. 
which was a electromechanical watch that used a battery um to tell the time right as opposed to every watch that was made before that was a watch that relied on the on springs and drives mm. uh and were totally mechanical right 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 so when Seiko made the, that watch um the game changed um watches or the next few years were then able to be built in factories and mass produced at much cheaper prices than they were back in Switzerland where people were making watches that are were handcrafted and extremely reliable and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So watches slowly became like this inexpensive commodity that could be disposed easily because they were getting cheaper and cheaper. And that pushed Switzerland um or Swiss watch makers into sort of a crisis where they started running out of business. Right. So in the 1970s and 80s swiss watch watchmakers went down from 1600 to 600 there were only 600 watchmakers left by the end of the quartz crisis in the world in the world yeah swiss watchmakers oh okay got you got you got you got you so yeah swiss swiss watchmakers in the world <laughs> so um seiko was on the forefront of this seiko took advantage of their quartz technology and they started mass producing inexpensive watches and in the United States, Timex and Hamilton were the two watchmakers or the two brands right. that also took advantage of that. Mm. Um, in fact, I think in the mid-70s, uh, Texas Instruments came up with the first uh, $20 watch, which was rev like crazy, $20 for a watch. I mean, that's my experience with watches, like getting a watch in like the bottom of like a cereal box or something. Like I never, I was <laughs> old until... I realized that watches were so like meticulously crafted. I never, like, yeah. I, I had never realized that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that is is uh, Swiss heritage. So when Japan and the United States were making um, were making a market for inexpensive, uh, low quality watches that were run off of batteries and were easily built and easily disposed, that forced a lot of these Swiss brands to to seek out luxury, to seek out the luxury market. Mm. And that's why they made their name, made a name for themselves as uh, luxury watchmakers, like IWC, Rolex. Oh, IWC is Swiss? Yeah, International Watch Company. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, IWC, Rolex, Omega. So Rolex wasn't ever a luxury watch. It was just a very reliable um, sort of a sports watch, a field watch. Right. Um, but the quartz crisis, it just, uh, the only market left for these these uh, watch manufacturers was sort of the luxury space because the masses were shifted to the quartz, um, quartz watches. Right. And um, that's why you see this, this, this discrepancy in a Casio and a Rolex. It's almost $1,000, uh, thousands of dollars of difference between a Casio that costs like $20. And, right, yeah, and the right most here. inexpensive Rolex cost like three, three and a half thousand dollars. The most inexpensive yeah. cost three and a half thousand dollars. Yeah, I wanted to buy one. And I don't think I was getting a decent one for less than three thousand, three thousand five hundred dollars. The Oyster Perpetual, I think. Yeah. Why do they name it an Oyster? Oh, that's a part of. Um, that's because Rolex was the first. In 1926, Rolex was the first uh, 
watchmaker to make a waterproof case for their watch. So Rolex has this has always had a marketing strategy that revolved around extreme sports or people in the early 20th century who were trying to trying to either um trying to to break records whether it was swimming or it was motor racing or it was right. uh deep sea diving or flying aviation right right and rolex always much like the influencer uh culture that we have now right. rolex would send out their watches to all of these people who had the potential of of um breaking records and they would take a quote they would take a quote from those people and put it up as an advertising uh for advertising for their watches hmm. so um oyster was developed as the first waterproof case uh for any wristwatch um it's like actually completely waterproof or is it like it's water resistant right right yeah. right yeah. up to 100 meters i think right because i always have seen that on the back of watches yeah. like up to yeah 60 yeah. meters 50 meters whatever it is yeah yeah it's um because i think the lower you the deeper you go and the pressure goes the pressure, up yeah, yeah. breaks the can, glass i'm yeah. assuming yeah but you know rolex also made a watch that went all the way to the mariana trench no way yeah yeah oh my god yeah rolex has done some crazy shit wait how did they get it down there just like freaking put it on like submarine. a fishing lure yeah some no submarine i think somebody wore it down i, I i'm not sure um but rolex also made the watch that f- was the f- that the first watch to climb the mount everest really yeah oh damn they're like breaking records left and right yeah that's why they that's why they are the king right. of uh, watchmaking even now there's a reason why everybody knows Rolex. Yeah, before I met you, I never realized that there was... I mean, I'd heard of, like, Timex yeah. and, like, Omega, but, like, for sure I knew what Rolex was, and I always knew that Rolex were, like, good watches that, like, like my grandpa had one yeah. and shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like back then, it's like having, like, a well-made mechanical wristwatch was, like, the thing. It still is. Yeah, I think the '60s and the '70s is when mechanical watches really took a hit because of the quartz crisis. But now people are starting to realize that uh, there is a charm and there is there is an appeal to mechanical watches that quartz watches just don't have. Right. That an Apple watch definitely doesn't have. And uh, (laughs) love those things. (laughs) Um. So if you if you had to ever tell anybody if somebody asked you what is the one watch that I should buy or if you ever had to suggest somebody just one watch to buy throughout their life it would most probably be a Rolex. Right. That would be the best suggestion you can give them in my opinion. Right. But then Rolex also has I mean it is it is the king of the watch world but then there is a fierce competitor to Rolex which is Omega. And Omega has been trying to dethrone Rolex for a very long time. Good luck. Um, I think one of the uh, instances when Omega sort of um, had the upper hand over Rolex was when um, the Apollo 15 or the Apollo 11 program, the Apollo 11 program when Neil Armstrong went up to the moon. He was wearing an Omega watch? He was wearing an Omega watch. They were They were all wearing Omega you imagine making something and then it like literally goes to the moon? I mean, that's yeah. crazy. Cause I know like, uh, like, cause they also brought like cameras up there and shit. And I know that like Hasselblad, yeah, like made sure that their camera went up there. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? They had to like freaking like I'm sure specially they, make one yeah. for the moon because they actually had to take it outside and yeah. stuff and it was like exposed and whatever. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I feel like if your product is part of like history like that, it's like done. Like, oh yeah. Y- you are like, you're pretty much it. Yeah. I think there are only two, two moon watches in the world and one of them is an Omega. Who has them? Uh, no, I mean, a moon watch is like, a, oh, it's a kind of watch. Got you, got you, got you. And it's like a model. It's like, it's like a line. It's It's like like a product line. Yeah. Special way and stuff like that. Yeah. It's called, um, yeah, it's called the Speedmaster uh, Professional, which is Omega's Moonwatch. A lot of people have them now. It's, I mean, you can buy it for like three or $4,000. Right. Um, Omega is very proud of their heritage, especially (laughs) because they've been, they were the only uh, watchmaker that was officially um, certified by NASA. Right. And, uh, Omega went um, Apollo 11, which was in 1969, I think. Um, and the first time the first time man walked the moon, I think they had an Omega on their wrist. And um, there's another watchmaker, which is American, I think, Bulova. But I think Bulova is now owned, owned by a Japanese company's citizen. A Japanese is like... Japan like super into watches and stuff. I mean Seiko is sort of like uh, with the quartz crisis and um Seiko's ability to make expensive watches, expensive mechanical watches and inexpensive um quartz watches. Right. And they've always they've always released a lot of models and um so Japan's dominance in the watch market is somewhat credited to Seiko and uh, Seiko is definitely one of the most important watchmakers on there which is why my first watch was also a Seiko it's affordable and it's, um, affordable. it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> somewhat affordable somewhat. for somebody it's, it's who makes a decent amount of money <laughs> <laughs> it's relatively affordable and um, it is a, a reliable watchmaker right Japanese craftsmanship has has its own um has its own reputation for being reliable. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so Omega is is also a very interesting, very interesting band. Omega's owned by Swatch, though, which is interesting, I think. Are Swatches expensive? No, so that's... Right, that's like kind of like an affordable... Mm-hmm. And they're all mechanical, right? Yeah, so Swatch was... So when the Quartz Crisis hit... Um, Switzerland was suffering and uh, Swiss watchmakers got together and formed a conglomerate and they were like, hey, what do we, how do we deal with this court situation? So they decided to build or they decided to start an organization which we now know as Swatch, which built even cheaper, simpler watches with different colors. And they sold, I think in two years, they sold two and a half million of those and they made a lot of money. Um, and Swatch slowly started buying all of these luxury watchmakers right. into its uh, into its uh, brand, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how Switzerland reacted to the quartz crisis. So even though Japan and the United States and Hong Kong were one step ahead, uh, Switzerland's reaction or Switzerland's answer to that was Swatch, which turned out to be a super successful organization and still is the biggest. Um, 
watch company or watch brand in the world. But then watch enthusiasts always buy watches because I think a watch what a watch enthusiast always looks for in a watch. I think the first thing would be the All right, so what I would look for in a watch would be the first thing would be the importance of the brand. How has the brand um historically how has it performed? What how has the brand added to the world of horology? And um how significant the brand is. And the other thing I would look at is um just uh what kind of a watch is it is it a pilot's watch a field watch a diver or um what what the functionality of the watch is and i would equate that to my lifestyle right and then make a decision on whether i want to get it or not well you got like a diver's watch right yeah yeah i mean I do, you, do you speak that <laughs> no. does that like go no. along with your lifestyle no no um so uh <sighs> The reason why I bought a diver watch as opposed to a dress watch or a field watch was um, the rotating bezel of this particular watch really attracted me. I think um, I think the fact that I'm 27 um, and that I live or we all live in New York City, well, we all end up living um, a lifestyle that's kind of, you know, we're walking all the time and we're going up and down the staircase and, you know, we're... uh every time we get a chance we go out into the woods over the weekends right, so right. so i didn't want to get a pure sports watch but i still wanted to get something that signifies that i have an active lifestyle right and i think a diver's watch comes closest other than a chronograph a diver's watch comes closest to that what's a chronograph a chronograph is a watch a mechanical watch that has the capability of a stopwatch oh yeah oh right with the thing yeah, that yeah. twists on the on the Oh no, that's top, a, right. So no, so chronographs you see have have two more like buttons around the crown. Mm-hmm. Like if this is the crown, they have two more buttons. Oh, one okay. for start, stop, and one for reset. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. A chronograph also tends to have multiple smaller dials uh-huh. inside the big dial. Right. So that's how you signify a chronograph. So chronographs were used to time races in the Olympics or oh, okay in motorsports. Right. Um. So it's like a it's like a stopwatch. I remember when you f- first got your watch and you showed me it's like where the glasses there's like a a metal yeah. circle around it yeah. and you were like showing me how you like twist it yeah and then it'll it'll like yeah it'll you stay do there. it up with like the numbers or like with the numbers or something and then it like yeah signifies like how much like oxygen you have left in your tank or something right yeah no so that's a rotating bezel and the purpose of a rotating bezel historically which again um rolex had a big part to play in was divers could use rotating be- bezels um to time the amount of oxygen or to keep track of the amount of oxygen left in their tank right um even though it's kind of obsolete now the the use of a rotating bezel um it's still a big part of the diver heritage right and um diver watches you can you know for a fact that diver watches are high performance watches they're watches that have been made more meticulously than than other watches because diver watches have to be certified to to be able to work under high pressure which right. is underwater right. so you want another another attraction to a diver watch is that it's um 
you know it's it's a watch that has has the capability to to handle some real real pressure right and it's also beautiful i think the aesthetic is very good it's funny those diver watches i feel like the the face or whatever like the whole part that actually sits on the top of your wrist that you look at it's just like i feel like it's so big yeah it is you know what i mean like I feel like if I was going to splurge and spend money on a watch, yeah, I would spend smaller. money on like a dress watch or something because yeah. they're pretty small. They're yeah. relatively small yeah. compared to a diver watch. I mean, those You know what's bigger huge. than a diver watch? A pilot's watch is bigger than a diver's watch or typically supposed to be bigger. Really? Yeah. As big or bigger. And the reason for that is when in World War II, when pilots were flying, um... They needed big timepieces on their wrist so that they could very easily see the time. Mm. And the bigger the watch, the more visible the hour and the minute hand was. Right. So a pilot's watch is generally known to be a little larger. And that and I think in today's at least for me, that that would seem a little odd. I don't think I'd be I would be comfortable walking around with like a forty five millimeter big ass fucking watch on my hand that's <laughs> that's meant for pilots <laughs> right do pilots today like still wear them is that like aesthetically yeah aesthetically yeah. i'm sure yeah because that's I something i always I see I on pilots in the airport i don't know why i always notice they're they all a nice wearing watch. a nice watch yeah i've yeah. always noticed that i don't know why yeah yeah that, that could be true i mean they're always dressed pretty nice but yeah 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 i mean um the first watchmaker to make a watch for um for transoriental flights pan am pan america mm-hmm. um was rolex they made a watch dedicated for pilots to wear um in and out of the transcontinental flights was rolex hmm. which also looks like a diver watch right but the first half of the bezel is red and the last half is blue. I've seen those. Yeah. yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. They call it the Pepsi dial. And they call it, and it's it's colored like that so that pilots could keep track of what the hours of the day are and what the hours of the night are. Oh wow. Yeah. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, Rolex has always been on the forefront of watch technology. Of just I think they've been very good at capturing markets. And um, making products specific to to those markets. Yeah. That's why Rolex is uh, uh, such a such a revolutionary to the gang of watches. I got I was on uh, I was on Instagram the other day, and an ad popped up to like make my own watch. It was like it comes with yeah the it, like it comes with the those, gears yeah. and stuff, and like you can assemble your own watch, which is pretty cool. I never realized one could do that because i know like being a watchmaker is one of those it's complicated profe- hard yeah, yeah it's like one of those professions that's generational like, exactly yeah. like if you're into watchmaking your dad was probably a watchmaker yeah. or mom or, or somebody or, taught somebody. you how to do it. exactly yeah. that's pretty yeah i mean i'm it makes sense because it has to be i'm like, pretty sure these on. uh diy kits for watches they probably I'm not sure if the movement is something that you need to make on your own. They probably give you a fully functional movement. Right. And by movement, I mean the heart of the watch. That like actually the gears give, yeah, that yeah, actually yeah. turn it. And, they probably yeah. give you, like, 
a fully um, assembled uh, functioning uh, movement. Right. And you probably need to build on top of that. Right. But I could be wrong. No, I mean, you're probably right. It seems like, I mean, it's almost, I mean, I could imagine if I was a watchmaker and I saw that, I'd be like, are you serious? Like, yeah. This isn't something that just anybody can do. Which is so funny. Very few uh, watchmakers in the world actually have their own movements. A lot of the, even the luxury ones, buy their movements from organized or from companies that's, that only make watch movements. Right. Like EDA and stuff like that. So, um, like a Tissot or a Rado, you know, they're pretty well-reputed uh, watchmakers. They buy their their movements from someone else. Right. And then they build on top of that. Wow. Yeah. Very few watchmakers have in-house movements. Rolex has their own... Rolex definitely has their own. IWC doesn't, I think. Seiko? Seiko has its own movement. Wow. One of the very few companies that do their own movements. And you need to be like an engineer for that. Yeah. Yeah, you need I'm to be... Assuming. Yeah, you need to have your... Historically, you need to have a lot of documentation, you know, um, blueprints and stuff like that. Mm, to prove that it's like actual... Yeah. Like that it's going to last and yeah. it's going to And you need to accurate. build on top of that. Right. Um, and when you say build on top of that, wh- what does that mean? So companies like Seiko are, are always looking at ways of making your watch smaller, thinner, more accurate, mm. work better under pressure, under higher temperatures. Mm-hmm. And uh, I th- I would imagine that they're continuously innovating in within that micro space of how watches are made. Right. Um, especially with like the kind of, te- we now have the technology to make like chips and uh, uh, computer chips and uh, all of these super complicated hardware. So I'm sure that uh, some of that gets carried over in the watch world also. Right. And when you add in things like, because you, you have watches that just keep track of time and then you have a watch that like also displays the date. It's yeah. Called, that's called like a complication, right? Also the first watch made by Rolex, the first date. Um first watch that ever displayed the date along with the time yeah was a rolex watch wow it's called the date just and that's like a complication right yeah yeah that's uh i don't know so i'll admit i don't know anything about how a watch works from underneath the dial (laughs) right i mean it seems pretty (laughs) fucking complicated also i just don't have the time to get into it (laughs) (laughs) um i would rather just pay the money and and be happy with the thought that it is complicated yeah, and yeah, don't yeah. really know how complicated it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. When you first bought your watch, I remember you were explaining to me the guy that added in like the leap year. Yeah. Complication. Yeah. And how it's like so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. And then it only really comes into play like every four years. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like constantly yeah. like every second of every day. It's like those are expensive working. Yeah. But but like you really only see the functionality of it every four years. Do you see yourself ever buying a watch? I mean, yeah, if I had enough money, I mean, right now it's like, I have like an Apple watch, you know? <laughs> and right now with my, with how much money I make, you know, that's enough to last me quite a while. Do you meet a lot of people who are into watches? No, I don't. I think you were the first person that actually was into watches. Yeah. Because I didn't know. I mean, I knew that, you know, the gears inside and stuff where it was, you know. Mechanical. 
mechanical and that it was meticulously crafted and yeah. all that stuff. But I didn't realize that it was like such a thing to have yeah. like movement. Like yeah. that, like people buy watches on the basis most of people buy yeah. watches on the base of like how it moves inside. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of from an outsider's perspective, somebody who's not into watches, yeah. it's kind of funny yeah. that you buy a watch based on something that you just cannot Can't see, see yeah. at all. Unless you buy one of those freaking million dollar watches where the no, whole there's point definitely of it is to see it. an element of truth there when people say that, oh, it's actually, it doesn't matter that much. Yeah, I mean. Why does it, like, a quartz watch is probably more accurate than a, a $20,000 Rolex. Right. Think about it. Yeah. My, my $20 Casio can keep time just as well as um, $20,000 Rolex. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, that's where that's why people are enthusiasts because they they tend to appreciate the art that goes behind making these watches right. and they appreciate the history that comes along with them and and the fact that it's very easy to dispose or get rid of something that um that costs like that doesn't cost too much right. and you know doesn't have a lot of quality as opposed to getting rid of something that has taken hundreds of years of evolution and uh, has been developed by by people over multiple hours right and these watches really do last you very very long so they don't you don't just buy them and get rid of them they become a part of you they become a part of your life they become a part of your aesthetic right. and then eventually you can pass them on as a legacy